0: great we have eric currently with postmark ish formerly with postmark how does one say that
1: it's a good question i'm currently with postmark and i was formerly with
0: postmark but Formerly at Wildbit, currently at Active Campaign. Very good. Congrats on all the movements over there. I'm a huge fan of Active Campaign. It's fun to to see those movements. I'm also a huge fan of you. So I don't know what to do with myself right now. Dave, principal at Mango Tech, uh, beloved member of Seven CTOs. Thanks for being with us. I've been very excited about this chat because a I'm a I'm a huge fan of Accelerate. It's it's a book I read every year, basically. It's right up there with me. with thinking fast and slow. Like I just there's some books I just have to read every year. And Accelerate is absolutely one of my favorites. And and also just the two of you, super accomplished and just I love to land the book knowledge into the real world and to hear how the two of you do accelerate in your ways. And of course accelerate is filled with metrics and assessments of our current states from seven ctos my name is etienne de bruin and you're in the cto studio
2: yeah and like how this all came about and i was in the book club with the mm-hmm. with but when we were talking about an accelerate book and i was like yeah a super duper expert on this because i have we'll call it a, uh, a service delivery assessment that i do with with companies and it's all based on accelerate so i i have my certain sort of hot take on like how those things should be used and like how they should be looked at or whatever and then Eric and I were talking about that a bit on Friday, and then it came into the whole idea of the tyranny of metrics and what do you measure and like how people talk about developer productivity is in terms of lines of code and nonsense like that. And like those things don't make sense. And so even bringing that back to Accelerate is my philosophy is don't over rotate on the actual things themselves. Think about them as concepts and indicative of things and whatever. So We kind of got into uh, what is that guy's name? Hadfield's law, I think, is if a measure becomes a target, it ceases to become a good measure. So yeah, it was the the accelerate was the basis for for this, and and that can certainly be the focus. But Eric and I definitely veered off into areas of as engineering leaders, like what are the things? How much do metrics help us? How much are they just a distraction?
0: Yeah, and whenever someone asks me about metrics. What should we be doing? My first question is almost, well, tell me a bit about your culture because it's not a one-size-fits-all and what is important to startup A is not important to startup B. And while there are best practices – if the metric becomes the target, then, then you're probably screwing up your culture somewhere, somehow, and are not going to get to the thing you're trying to get to.
2: First, I'm a huge fan of Eric's as well, just like you. But Man. second, I put out a tweet, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, and I, I said, mark my words, when the history books are written, Accelerate will go down as one of the most significant contributions to engineering in all of software for all time. Because I, I just really feel like it was that game changing for someone like me who has a background in software delivery. A lot of the things that I felt like we were talking about in the DevOps movement was all like, if you do this, it's going to be great. Or you do that, it's going to be awesome or, or, or all these other things. And, and people were like, yeah, are you sure? And, and we're like, oh, look at Google or look at Netflix or whatever. And they're like, yeah, OK. But then Accelerate came out and here was the map behind all of that stuff and it was like this isn't just stuff that people believe this isn't stuff that people are just talking about here it is here are the things that are correlated to high performing engineering organizations here are things that are correlated to great business outcomes and like, and if you don't you know believe it the entire back half of the book is like just statistics showing you how this is actually real and Putting that math down and making it so concrete for all of us, I thought it was just an unbelievable game changer. Mm. How about you, Eric?
1: I think I read it maybe three years ago and had a similar reaction to Dave's where it was it was like the thing I had been looking for. And I tend to come from a strong culture and, and human perspective to everything we do. And I think that's what the book is about. I think it says that kind of early. If I'm not misremembering, Dave, I'm sure will hold me accountable. But they're they're talking about capabilities and not maturity and capabilities to drive culture change. And if you adopt certain capabilities and work in a certain way, you can come around to the culture change. But it's the culture change and having a generative culture that is the desired outcome. And and that just really strongly resonates with me. And I spent A lot of time pouring over it. I haven't put it on an annual read like you have at the end, but, but I probably should. Although every time the state of the DevOps report comes out,
0: I obviously read that and pay close attention. I love that you mentioned the capabilities versus maturity model because I feel like that just goes in the beginning. It just goes straight at this obsession startups have with maturity models. And to really flip that into what is our capability and how does that grow and how do we model that, I think is a brilliant start to the book. When we were
2: developing the assessment, we do not actually measure anybody on the four KPIs. And if for people who aren't familiar with Accelerate, that's deployment frequency, lead time per changes, change failure rate, and they call it mean time to recover, which is a whole other fun topic. But uh, but what we actually evaluate people on are those capabilities. Like we look, are you using revision control for infrastructure? Are you doing trunk-based de- deployments? Are you doing automated testing? Are you building artifacts automatically when code is checked in? Like we're those are the things that we concentrate on. We don't like really care about measuring whether this is a seven or that's a two or a five. All that stuff is not important in in that those kpis are supposed to be indicative of having what eric was referring to a western generative cult- culture that like puts your trust in people and encourages uh, boundary spanning and communication and all those other things because ultimately that's what it takes to be a high-performing engineering organization and those KPIs are indicative of that. But if you, let's say, had the best deployment frequency in the world and all the other things were trash, probably not going to have a very high-performing culture.
0: Yeah. And let's maybe, as we do this discussion, let's talk about this What metrics should I choose? Why am I choosing metrics? Oftentimes, when I'm in the conversation, I get the sense that the person is under fire because something isn't going the way the C-suite wants. And now they're building their case for how things should be measured. But let's talk about measurement in general as the CTO or as a VP, obviously maybe a bit further removed, but even with managers. and, And let's talk about the... What do we measure? Why do we measure it? What should we be focused on when it comes to metrics
1: so I'll take a stab at this i don't I don't actually measure the Dora metrics very carefully or I'm not a huge proponent of going to them immediately. I like starting with what are we doing? What are the outcomes we're seeking? And what are some opportunities maybe for doing things better? But stepping back from that a little bit, there's there's also the feeling that as engineering leaders, we have to be responsible, right? And we have to operate in a way that is consistent with doing our jobs well and delivering value. So the Dora metrics are, are great. What I love doing, though, is focusing more on Things that measure sort of the foundation for the door metrics to come into place. So for instance, do we have psychological safety on our teams? And maybe what are what are some areas to improve there? Do people, people feel like they belong on the teams? We talk a lot about transformational leadership, right? They talk a lot about that in Accelerate too. Do we have some of that? So I've been working on some very simple Likert scale type surveys to do with a team on an interval to measure that. Above and beyond the Dora metrics, the Dora metrics are really specific. And I think if that's all you're looking at, then you're
2: going to start measuring it, start improving it and thinking the job is done, right? I think as engineers, we love data and you guys are both CTOs. I was an architect, infrastructure engineering at Salesforce, like we're like, Give me the graphs, give me the numbers, give me the, cause I'm an engineer and I want the numbers. And I, when you've gotten to, I think the points in our careers like we have, you realize that like, it's not really all it takes to being a, a, a good engineering leader. Camille48 has a really great blog post she put out last year. It was it's called something like 37 Things That It Takes to Be Successful in Engineering That Aren't Code. And it's all kinds of things. Like, how do you convince other people on your team that this is the best thing that we're going to, that we could do? Or how do you, how do you bring somebody up who's more junior than you? So they become a better engineer. How do you make your boss understand that the team can't put aside this technical debt right now? Put a number on those. How? It's impossible. Like it's, but that is, that's the hard part of engineering, right? The hard part of engineering isn't writing code. Like we, we can all write after a few years in the industry, we can all write code. We, some do better, some do worse, whatever, but that's like breathing for us. But like the hard part is all these other things. And so I like what Eric was saying, like how he was focusing on more aspects of the team and how does a team work well together and and things like that. And I I don't think that we have to throw away the idea of being data driven. That's not necessary. That's throwing out the baby with the bathwater. But I think we also have to recognize that everything that we can stick a number on isn't going to be all that great. And number two, if you just start sticking numbers on everything, people
0: are going to find a way to game the system. And then what have you gained? What I, what I love about the DORA metrics, for instance, deployment frequency, is that those numbers will break down because of other things that aren't working. And mm. and so at least if you can have some sort of North Star in those metrics, and then deal with, oh, but we can't do this because we can't retain engineers, or we have to keep retraining, or there's only two people who know how to do this X and Y. Those, so it's almost like the vanity of the tooling and the numbers, great, go do that. But now, because then those numbers are going to show you that you have all this other issues around, like you said, Eric, psychological safety, retention all that stuff that starts surfacing. And really, to me, that's where the true leadership starts to come into play. It's not, hey, how do we maintain those numbers? It's what do we need to put in place to to eventually have those outcomes that are good for the business?
1: Yeah, I think that's right. And I think the beauty of the Accelerate book is thinking about it from a capability standpoint. So Advising people to pay attention to the door metrics and to adopt those capabilities. I I don't think you can really go wrong with that. It's just important to remember that's not the end state. And so if we think about what are the outcomes we want, what's the reason for all of this? What I keep coming back to always is like learning. I think to me, a trait of really strong engineering works or kind of any team, to be honest, is their ability to keep learning and to have a, a practice of learning where... You know, thinking about failure as feedback and not punishing people. And OK, Dormetrics great. Yep, all of this stuff is great. We want a generative culture. But why, though? I think partly because we want to be a learning team. How we do our work today is going to be different from next year and the year after. And it's going to change under our feet. And what problems our customers need us to solve is also going to be different. So... I
2: always come back to the outcome that we want to be highly functional learning organization. Yeah, I think it's important to remember that the Accelerate book came out of the DevOps movement. It's Nicole and uh, Nicole Posegran, Grand, Gene Kim, Jez Humble, like these are people who are formative and and massive players in the DevOps movement. Gene with the with the Phoenix Project and Jez. Farley writing like continuous delivery, all these other things. But we do have a saying in the DevOps movement, which is you're either a learning organization or you're lo- losing to someone who is. And so Eric like kind of nailed it right there is when you read books like the high velocity edge by Dr. Steven Spear, there's, a, there's all this stuff about Toyota cause Toyota is a huge thing in the DevOps movement. But like the point of that book is that they're a learning organization. And they're just constantly improving and getting better over time. And that's why, you know, he holds them up as like this example. And and they give other examples in there about Alcoa aluminum and and whatever. But the point is, and this kind of goes back to really what Etienne was talking about in the beginning with maturity models is like maturity models is this idea of what's best practice. But best practice is by definition, current practice. That's as far as we've taken it. And yeah, if you only want to be as good as everybody else, then fine, just do that. But if you want to be better than all your competition and you want to win, you don't want to lose to someone who's learning, then you have to keep learning. You have to keep getting better. It's all the Kaizen principles and all that other stuff. And that's so deeply rooted in the DevOps movement. And that's why we talk about stuff like that. And so when I'm working with clients, that's what I I tell them is like, My whole purpose here is to teach you how to become a learning organization. It's not to lecture you on metrics or lecture you on this or that, whatever. It's to say, hey, in the beginning, it's going to be rough. You're going to have a lot of questions. I'm going to help you, but I'm also going to help you figure out how to get those answers and how to run experiments and have hypotheses and see, does this make us better or worse? Okay, it makes us worse. Let's not do it which is a very agile mindset, of course, whatever. But but yeah, I think that's really, that's great. And to your point about when you're learning or whatever, you're going to learn that For we're releasing once every two weeks, it doesn't feel good. I, I feel like we're stifled, we're waiting. But if you release every day, then that probably feels like you've got a good pace going. And that doesn't mean you have to, well, deployment frequency, the more you do, the better. So we release four times a day, but let's get to a 100 times a day. Like, why? What is that going to do for you? It does nothing for the business. Like, more isn't necessarily better. And when you're a learning organization, you run those experiments, zero in on the idea that, like, hey, this is what works for us, and it works well for us. So let's keep doing that. And if we have to change in the future,
0: we'll change. Yeah, I'm drawn to learning organization equals top leadership being okay with not knowing or being wrong or... That to me is a lot of times where this all breaks down is I am supposedly, I've just been hired as the CTO, I'm supposed to know my stuff, and but I don't know how to massage these metrics into this existing culture and to adopt that learning mindset of, hey, I don't know the answers, let's figure this out together and let's run those experiments is huge. And that's where, for instance, with trunk-based development, for instance, you can't really do the daily deploy if you aren't doing feature flags right if you aren't doing trunk based because you have these bloated branches or you have this crazy review process to eventually merge and everyone's holding on their hats because something's <laughs> going to break something but, but that's what i love about the progressive nature of these types of metrics is that if you peel the onion you're going to get to the heart of the issue and then as leaders to have the courage to say listen I know we want to increase our deployment frequency, but that really means a cultural shift in how we're actually doing our development process so that we can move to something that allows for unused code to actually be deployed. It's it's a courageous move to make those sorts of shifts. It it does take courage. And and I, I think there's a really exciting
1: and interesting leadership challenge about how do you create an environment? because. The CTO may not be the person with the awareness that's what we should do, right? It may be the most junior team member that has some of this awareness and, and, and sees this opportunity for the team. And I think that's where this gets really serious for startups. You usually have small teams and you're on a time frame, so to speak, to prove your idea and get to market. It's really important that you, you, you use the whole team to their full potential. But if part of your team feels like they can't speak up or they're worried about speaking up, they're going to hold back their ideas and they may be sitting on the golden idea. And so creating those environments so that we can have conversations, so Mm -hmm. that the best ideas can come forward and we can quickly disagree
2: with each other and move through it without causing hurt. It's very exciting. Yeah, how do you run an experiment if it's not safe to? F- we can only do experiments that are a hundred percent guaranteed to be successful. Like an experiment anymore? Come on, I have a a client right now, and uh, this morning I was on a call with them, and we're like, we're gonna change all this stuff or whatever, and then they're like, that's fine. We can make these massive changes to our organization. Let's just make sure that we don't have any additional downtime as a result or anything. We just we need to think through the problem hard enough we catch every ball before it lands and i was like give up forget it i was like that's not happening and i was like and you know i was in in florida last week with them but i was like their senior leadership i talked to them they're like we're willing to accept failure as a growing pain of getting through to a better place and whatever so i was like you guys don't have to worry about that embrace this go with it Whatever you have permission to fail because It's just, you guys have both been saying it, like people are afraid. What if
0: if somebody finds out that I don't have all the answers? Yeah, and that's actually, it's one of those things for me, like the word empathy or all these buzzwords, vulnerability, where just because we can name what it is doesn't make it easier to do. And so it's, oh, we've got to teach our developers empathy. Okay, great. That's a great value and it's good but empathy is going to be messy. It's, you're going to, you're going to be uncomfortable. It's not going to be great. And the same for me with failing, right? It's again, it's a, this idea of experimenting short cycles, short, tiny batches, like all of that stuff sounds great until it starts really messing with what the business plan is or sends things. Something gets released that shouldn't have, which is great, but which is great for what we're talking about, but the business might see that as a failure on the part of the technology organization. Uh, You know, I think about what you said, Eric, what I love about this book is also emphasizing the generative culture. I, I often talk to CTOs and I'm like, listen, if you don't create the generative culture inside your company, where do you think great ideas and innovations going? It's going to their side hustles. I love side hustles, but you're like, whenever I host a collaboration session or a think tank, no one says anything. Thanks for that confession. I mean, that you just told me in one short sentence how you're running your organization. The other thing that really stands out to me is decoupled architecture for the sake of empowering teams, right? It's not oh, we're trying to scale this part and that part of the system. How about you actually design your or architect your system so that your teams feel empowered on breaking something in the other dark corner of the app every time they try and do something? And so I think, like you said, Eric, so much of this is centered around the team and, and technology serving the team, decisions, architects, designing for engineers, versus tools and data and all those metrics
2: i'll throw it on you two guys since you're both ctos but like you said etienne that like the business can see that failure is something bad or whatever and then you said the cto should create an environment in their organization so that it encourages experimentation which leads to innovation and things like that what does a cto do when the CFO or the CEO comes to them and says, "How could you release something that gave us ten minutes of downtime? How could that happen? What does the CTO do in those situations?"
1: Yeah, that's a really tough problem, <clears throat> and and I think it can be addressed in some cases. But so in that case, you have a cultural misalignment, and one thing I know for sure is you can't have a generative culture in the development team, and then pathological culture in in supporting works. And you can try, but that's definitely going to be very messy. And that kind of points to the thing on on this issue, on on this cultural issue about what leads to to value creation, I think that the leadership team has to be aligned. And so if, if that's the challenge in the org, that's the place I would start, is getting the leadership team together and then advocating, probably not head on for, here's why we should be okay with failure, but pointing to this idea, of, because the the chances are that executive leadership team is not a learning team, and starting to advocate for why this team should become a learning team and running experiments, and because the fact of the matter is they're all sitting around the table also not knowing, and and that message should appeal to them, and if they can get a taste of it, then maybe we can start a, a cultural change. But I, I will say I have tried and miserably failed at that. It is incredibly hard. So. At
0: the end, you tell us. How do you do that? Thanks for asking. So I will say, just to uh, galvanize the point you made, Eric, the, the leadership team on the same page. So I will say there have been countless situations where my team screws up, I go back to the CEO, and we've got to do a debrief about it. What I've learned in those situations is I cannot ever throw my team under the bus and trust me, I have been tempted to do that a thousand times. And every, you, you, you cannot fail at that once. So standing by your team, standing by the decisions, even if it's a surprise to you, boy, do not throw anyone on. You can do whatever you want in private, but when you're in the C-suite, do not give in to the temptation to say, I have to fix the team or it was my issue. I also didn't know about it. So that's number one. Number two to me is the trust that you build with your CEO, uh, you speak about the learning culture, the trust that needs to you need to bring the CEO along with w- the why, obviously, is a lot of advocating and soapboxing. But here's the big one for me. And that is C-suite has full rights to question, challenge, doubt. For me, it's Oftentimes, you are guilty until proven innocent sometimes and just be okay with that because whether it's ignorance, whether it's aggression, it's just business is messy and hey, CTO, just be courageous. Like it's It's a difficult vibe sometimes to be out there advocating for your team, but sign up for it and be ready to do that. So A, it's okay if you get questioned, doubted. It's not fun. You don't want to be in that place, but it's okay if that happens. Secondly, I don't think it's fair to expect the C-suite to just trust you because you say so. Hey, I've got this book I read, it's Accelerate, and they (laughs) said that we should do this, and trust me, that the authors did all these things. No, that stuff doesn't mean anything. I think that the CTO often fails to use the language that the business needs to explain why certain things were happening. For instance, we feature flag these two or three things because we realized that there's an an upside in user acquisition or revenues or something that could have this impact on the business at this risk factor. Wow, now you're using language that maybe someone else in the C-suite actually understands. Now I understand why you took that risk. Now, you could also in the same uh, vein say... This could have worked without any of you noticing anything except that beautiful uptick in revenue or acquisition. The same risk that I took there is the same risk that I'm taking now is the same risk I'll keep on taking to hit our targets and our business objectives. But I think too often the CTO is like, hey, now there's an affront on my skill and my person and my identity and I'm gonna go work for someone else who gets it. It's no dude. You you don't get it. It's you have signed up to be in that little rowboat on the ocean and the waves are ten feet, twenty feet. You better navigate that and be ready for that. That's what I wanna see in the C suite when the business starts challenging the engineering organization.
2: I love that part that you talked about. No one ever examines like what we call the root cause of success. Everybody wants to do an investigation when something breaks. But when things are working, nobody ever wants to talk about it. I, I thought that's a really good point. Dr. Richard Cook has a website called and It's got 18 different things in there. And one of the things he talks about is anytime we're making changes to the system, it's a gamble. And like when the gamble turns out to be bad... Everybody looks at and is, of course it failed because, but they're constructing a reality that didn't exist at the time, because if somebody knew it would cause a failure, they never would have done it. (laughs) It's absurd. But he said, nobody ever goes back and like thinks about all the gambles that we did that paid off, that did increase revenue, that did increase all those things and. I, I think that's the, to bring it back to the learning organization and Accelerate, that's when we do have those failures, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to get better. It's really showing us what the state of the system was at that time. And we have a lot of clarity about what that the state of that system was. So we should use that as an opportunity to get better. And if it's me... When the CEO is asking me, I'd be like, you know, it's the whole take all the blame and give all the credit you know, thing. But yeah, we failed like this thing, whatever. But these are the things that we learn. And Ooh. this is how we're going to use that to our advantage in the future. And you can really get an advantage out of those things in the Ooh. future. And the Accelerate metrics, we have time to recover. Like, how does time to recover get better? It's not just through, I slapped some metrics from Datadog in there and now everything's finished. It's like, we have to do all the work of like destructive testing. And when we have a failure doing those blameless post-mortems or learning reviews or all those other things, because those things are specifically designed for learning. And when we do that learning, that's when you're, TTR metrics going to go in the direction that you actually want? It.
0: Yeah, I think about the system where, so I don't want to get into systems theory on this because this can take us, it's going to be a five-day conversation and, and I won't stop talking. But what I do love about the the metrics-driven organization is if it's in service to helping your people know when they're winning, then I think that's great. I think we need to have organizations where people are constantly opting into our culture they want to play. They want to dedicate their time to us. And what better way to have numbers that can show them, hey, you're winning at this game. It's amazing. A team pride. There's self respect. There's the joy of the craft. All these things can be measured in, in in a way that can really just put it back on the team for people to enjoy. You know, the other thing I think in terms of maybe startup
1: CTOs that that see that they need to. Go through this change is that really that opportunity is a huge gift. Like you said at the end, sometimes you're going to be in a small robot in a big sea and it can be scary, but, but being there, you might learn some things. If you're part of a non generative culture, understanding how to affect change is a huge personal development opportunity. And so I would say don't freak out. And if it it is a challenge and it can be a gift, and, and there is a lot of support in, in general in the community about. How to go about it. I like what what
2: what you said, Etienne, about showing the metrics, but also show how the metrics are tied to what people are doing. Like people should understand, engineers should understand how the work that they're doing are tied to better business outcomes. Because that's why they're at work. They're not at work to learn some fancy new technology. That's a side benefit. But the reason that the company is paying them is they want better business outcomes. That's the whole purpose of hiring all these people. And when you can show an engineer how the the time they put in on optimizing that algorithm saved the company a million dollars last year, which led to bigger profits and better this and whatever, that's
0: a big deal. Like people really they that's tangible for them. Which is one of the reasons with CI CD. What does that give you? It just gives you this incredible freedom and flexibility to respond to product needs, customer needs, ex- running experiments. Suddenly the friction goes down to try things out. Yes, there are CI CD metrics, but the game of correlating those numbers, that's a fun thing to do. Is, hey, if, we, if our deployments are once a day, our general NPS scores go up. I know it's a bit ludicrous, but something like that, where your team can feel like there's not this animosity between product and dev because they always want something that we're not working on or they always want something that they wanted this today and that tomorrow. You might actually just be sad because you've got friction in your own department, in your own space that just limits your ability to respond. Tying it back to the Dora metrics and the capabilities, I think
1: that's a gift in, let's say, continuous um, delivery or continuous deployment is that it's not an end state in and of itself, but adopting that practice means you're going to have conversations around failure, around experimentation, right? You're breaking this idea that the developer writes it and then ships it and everything Mm. is fine every time. And I, I think that's part of why thinking of them as capabilities and adopting them helps lead to a generative culture. The process of rolling that out and doing it well, setting those expectations and having those conversations inside the engineering team. And then also with your C-suite and letting everybody in on what we're doing and why we're doing it, it it leads to the learning organization.
0: How hard how brutally simple would it be if you could say to your C-suite, hey, this number here, if it's in single digits, then you know the dollar signs over here or the customer sign over here goes up. And that's why the the million dollars I want to spend on making this a single digit totally. You know, and then they're like, "Oh, okay, this makes sense." But I work with a lot of CTOs, and I've, I'm sorry to say, a lot of them are not willing to speak that language. They want to be trusted mm-hmm. implicitly. They want to be re- revered for their exper- expertise and their experience. And I'm like, let all of us have kids your kid has got zero respect for whatever you've accomplished in life. If you can't change that diaper, it's going to be nasty. And so the same way we have to come in and be willing to have those five, speak to me like I'm five conversations with love and with respect. And that's where the books like Accelerate to me are just these incredible, amazing, just scrolls that just helps us and aids us in having those simple conversations.
2: We always say, if you really want to get the business to change, bring the CFO with you and you're having that conversation. And it's a funny joke, but like the CFO is speaking that language, that common business language that people understand and people are interested in. So like bringing that CFO with you is a sort of a metaphor in some ways, or it could be real, but it's like, it's phrasing these things inside of those terms so that like you said, Etienne, if this number is small. That other number is going to be big. That's what they care about. They don't care about like that that other number being small. And for the CI CD stuff, I think it's pretty interesting because number one, that's like your lead time for changes thing in the accelerate metrics. We can respond very quickly to market demands and and opportunities that we see. Because it it's not a big deal to get code out into production. Somebody's like, hey, this would be great. Let's do that. If I'm deploying every day and I can deploy at will. And my competitor is deploying quarterly because they're following like the old Salesforce model or whatever. Blah blah blah. Then like, product comes to me and says, "Hey, I we noticed this market opportunity. Let's go." And you're like, "All right, it'll be out like in three days." And then your competitors are like, "Oh yeah, we could totally do that. Just give us two and a half months, (laughs) and we'll be able to take advantage of that market opportunity." Give me a break. And we don't like hero culture and like the devos movement because that's generally about somebody who stays up all night fixing something and then we congratulate them for not sleeping mm. but this is real hero culture like you come to the engineering organization and say we see this market opportunity and we can take advantage of
0: it months ahead of our competition that's some great hero culture i so love that so Let's wrap this up with someone who's been listening to us for 45 minutes and are like, I, what are they even talking about? I like the way they sound, but I don't know what this means. Let's land this in a way that someone who's gotten this far, what could be an actionable thing for them to do next? I mean, it's going to sound funny just when I say it out loud, but like for
2: what I'm working with in early stage startups, I encourage them to take advantage of A lot of the tools that are out there in the ecosystem so like aws has all their code deployed tools and there's ecr and and ecs and this and and that there's all kinds of things out there the thing that i always find fascinating when i'm working with startups is the ones who utilize those tools they get a lot of the DORA metrics for free because those tools are opinionated in a way That forces you into doing all these small batch releases and and things like that. And certainly read the Accelerate book and understand what you're going for there. But there's no reason to strike out on your own and do this not invented here stuff where we're going to write our own container orchestration from scratch because that makes sense. And the tools are opinionated and they're really getting so good right now. I'm, I'm just super impressed with them. But the reason that I'm impressed with them isn't because there's some kind of a technological marvel. It's because they're encouraging you to do these practices. They're encouraging you to communicate and all these other kinds of things. And then to Eric's point, like the Google did a study years ago. You can go read about it on their rework website or whatever. They looked at all the teams across Google, which were the teams that had the highest performance. Was it the teams that had the most PhDs? Was it the teams that had the most experienced developers? Was it the teams who had people who had been at Google the longest? Turns out, number one, psychological safety. Teams that could communicate with each other without fear of being called out or failing or anything like that. Number one teams, psychological safety. And so as an engineering leader, I really encourage people to, to think about what that means. And like, how do we make mm. these environments so that we allow people the freedom to really do the, the best engineering work of their lives? I'll add an observation, though, which is that I, I do some CTO advising
1: as well of startups. And I see, from my perspective, the sort of the interconnectedness in the tooling community is a huge opportunity to leverage a lot of the Accelerate and DevOps practices and make them simpler and put the the engineer more in the driver's seat and give them more power. I'm seeing a lot of confusion though. There's a lot of people that, okay, let's connect CircleCI here and AWS here, and then we'll do this here. And then the result is, is a nightmare to actually ship anything. So if all of this tooling and if all of this is not making the job simpler, and encouraging you to ship more often, and you're doing so with a healthy amount of respect, but nevertheless, an absence of fear, then there's still gains there for you. And Mm. seek out an advisor, seek out a community maybe Mm. with some CTOs to help you. But there's, yeah, there's lots to be
0: had. What would you tell CEOs listening to this, founders who are struggling with, is my department where it should be how do I know I'm getting the most out of my investment into the teams is accelerate all these metrics ways for us to uncover deficiencies in our team or in our approach
1: it's a very real concern if I'm a CEO I would want to be concerned about that just like I would be concerned about that about finance or customer success or whatever but I think the path forward there is if you're not sure And if there are some doubt, I'm not sure a metric is going to fix it. I think there's something a little bit deeper in your relationship with the CTO or whomever that is worth poking at. Why isn't it that you have a relationship where they can call you up at any time and say, hey, this thing is Mm. completely messed up and we need to do this? Or why isn't it that you can't have this conversation with a CTO saying, I'm having some doubt right now about whether we're allocating our money in the best way? Those are conversations that should be had can be had in a healthy leadership team and that's a shortcut to the fix the long way around is let's try to find something let's negotiate some kind of metric that we can agree on as a proxy for this thing no we just need to have
0: a conversation I, think. That, I feel like that was touchdown thank you for listening to today's episode of cto studio This is a little taste of the many conversations we have inside Seven CTOs. In addition to our peer groups, Seven CTOs members are also part of Slack, where ad hoc issues can be addressed by the larger collective. We also have one to two Zoom calls a week, where we go deep on specific challenges like brand new technologies, hiring strategies, people management, and expanding our influence and branding as technology leaders. Also check out 7CTOs.com where we publish our list of events like upcoming retreats and colloquiums in a city near you. Applications are always open, so mention CTO Studio when you apply and you'll get a free strategy session with me. Wouldn't that be fun? See you next week.